Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbriggs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 29th of May 2023, from the sports section, Ex-Rangers ace Josh Windas scores League One playoff final winner by Ewan Payton, sports writer. Former Rangers star Josh Windas netted the winner as Sheffield Wednesday beat Barnsley in the League One playoff final. The attacker's last gap header secured promotion to the Championship for the Owls in a highly dramatic fashion. Following in the footsteps of playoff winning dad, Dean, the 29-year-old scored with a bullet diving header in an added time of extra time as a penalty shootout looked inevitable. More than 40,000 ecstatic Owls celebrate wildly at the death after their team had finally seen off a gutsy Barnsley side who had played with 10 men following Adam Phillips' 49th minute red card. Wembley was again bathed in sunshine as the Owls made the most purposeful start. Barry Bannon saw an early volley deflected wide after the Barnsley defence failed to clear Windassi's low cross. From the resultant corner, unmarked defender Dominic Iorfa fired an in an effort which Harry Isted palmed away superbly. Barnsley, who had done the double over the Owls in the regular campaign, threatened first when Phillips blazed over after meeting Slobodan Tetic's perfect cushioned header. As the half-hour mark approached, both sides seemed to have settled somewhat amid the white-hot atmosphere, but the Gomez incident was proving elusive. Another decent Barnsley opportunity then went begging. Luca Connell's corner was only half-cleared by Bannon, straight into the path of Nicky Cadden, who again smashed wafely off the top from 15 yards. Michael Duff's men, who had barely half the amount of supporters inside the stadium compared to Wednesday, ended the first period just about on top. With defences largely on top, both sides needed to step it up in the second period. However, a huge potential turning point came four minutes after the restart, when Barnsley midfielder Phillips lunged in on Wednesday striker Lee Gregory, earning himself a straight red card from the referee Tim Robinson. Incredibly, Barnsley were thwarted by the woodwork five minutes later, when Liam Kitching diverted Cadden's initial strike onto the crossbar. As the game was now opening up at both ends, Bannon curled an exquisite strike inches past the angle. The Ills had now rested about the initiative in what was rapidly turning into a thriller and Windas fizz a low drive just off target. Ayorfa also headed over the top as a breakthrough remained elusive. The 10 men of Barnsley were proving tough to break down while at the other end they almost struck with 12 minutes left before the game was, hit, was to head to extra time. Substitute James Norwood charged ominously past Restrained before crashing in a shot which Cameron Dawson beat away superbly. 
Both sides went mighty close to an opener in a frenetic first period of extra time. Michael Iwikwe, Michael Smith and Bannon all failed to take opportunities for the Owls, whilst the otherwise impressive Connell incredibly missed an open goal for Barnsley. The drama dissipated in the final 15 minutes, until that unforgettable last play of the game when Windass finally bro- broke Brave Barnsley's resistance. And that report was by Ewan Payton. From the Classical Times, Monday the 29th of May 2023, from the sports section, Kevin Van Veen Rangers transfer backed by ex-Ibrox defender. Report by Ewan Payton. Rangers have been urged to sign Motherwell striker Kevin Van Veen. Former Light Blues defender Craig Moore believes the Dutchman should be signed up by his old club as part of the summer rebuild. Michael Beale is planning a busy summer of transfers as the Englishman aims to reshape his first team squad at Ibrox. Kieran Dowell has already been announced in a three-year contract from Norwich City. Dujon Sterling is expected to be announced soon, while Jack Butland is another name who has been strongly linked on a free. With Alfredo Morelos and Ryan Kent leaving the club though, it's up front that B will need to heavily focus in the coming weeks and months. Antonio Kolak remains the only recognised centre forward on the books at Rangers. And Moore reckons that Van Veen is an option that would be fairly low risk and cheap for Rangers to explore. Stuart Kettlewell recently claimed Van Veen would be unattainable for clubs in Scotland, but the Aussie former centre-back reckons he could be available for £750,000. He told Go Radio, Kevin Van Veen to a Rangers, for example. You spend, say, £750,000. A player that knows the league. He's not over the hill, he's 31. He's shown that he does it in, the, in this league. Sometimes you spend more on someone that there's a risk factor to it, coming to a new country, being able to settle in. I'm not saying Kevin Van Veen starts for Rangers, but I'm saying that Rangers need two, three, four strikers. I'm telling you right now, there will be worse options out there. Asked if he could see the move happening, he added, I don't know, this is just me. That kind of goal-scoring record. Big, physical. If you're dominating the ball and creating opportunities, he's a goal-scorer. And that report was by Ewan Payton. From the Glasgow Times, Monday the 29th of May 2023, from the sports section, Kieran Tierney Arsenal moment convinces fans of transfer exit. Report by Ewan Payton. Kieran Tierney could well have played his last game for Arsenal. The Scottish defender has been heavily linked with a move away from the Emirates this summer after a distinct lack of game time under Mikel Arteta this season. The former Celtic star came on as a substitute in the Gunners' final day 5-0 win over Wolves yesterday. The Scotland international joined his teammates in the traditional lap of honour at the end of the game. But some fans have been left convinced that KT has graced the turf in North London for the last time as an Arsenal player. In a video widely circulated online, the left-back appeared to be soaking up the applause from the home supporters. It certainly seemed to be an, an emotional few moments, as Tierney took in the appreciation from his fans as he chanted, There's only one key in Tierney. Newcastle United, Aston Villa and Manchester City have all been touted for Tierney, who has played second fiddle to Alexander Zinchenko all season. The 25-year-old Scott isn't going to be short of options should he decide to play his football elsewhere in the 2023-24 season. And fans on social media believe he will be heading off once the players return for pre-season in July. One fan tweeted, 
Yep, it looks like the end. How sad. I always counted it in Tierney. Another said, that looks like a farewell to me. Another commented, it's clear, he's leaving. And a fourth added, watching that you'd think Kieran Tierney is going to go, sadly. And that report was by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, May 30th. Glasgow MP calls for football clubs to organise fan celebrations. Report by Nicole Mitchell. An MP has called for football clubs to organise their own fan celebrations. It comes after thousands of Celtic fans gathered in Glasgow City Centre on Saturday to celebrate the team winning the Scottish Premiership. We previously reported 10 people were arrested and several injured during the celebrations, with police saying there was an unacceptable level of antisocial behaviour during the day. A spokesperson for Glasgow City Council also said the staff worked through the night to deal with a build-up of waste following the event. Now, Glasgow Central MP Alison Thewlis has told the BBC she believes football clubs should organise events for their fans. She said, My preference would be for the clubs to organise things so that there was safety for fans and residents and responsibility for ensuring everyone is looked after. The SNP MP also condemned the disruption and the mess caused by the celebrations and said that football clubs should be billed for the clean-up. She wrote on Twitter, I have had a number of complaints from local residents about the disruption and the mess. Consistent with my call in previous years, I would suggest the football team responsible be billed by Glasgow City Council for the clear-up in this instance, Celtic Football Club. A spokesperson for Glasgow City Council said, The gathering clearly caused disruption to residents, local businesses and the roads network. We are also concerned about the antisocial behaviour and risk to public safety associated with the gathering. We will be engaging with our partners in Saturday's operation on how the issues that arose during the gathering can be addressed in the future. Our staff were on hand to move in and begin a clear-up operation once crowds began to disperse on Saturday evening. Staff worked through the night to deal with the build-up of waste and a continued effort was required on Sunday morning to restore the area to a good condition. Roads closed at short notice for safety reasons were reopened on Sunday morning and traffic signals damaged during the gathering were also repaired. A full assessment of the impact of the unofficial event will be undertaken. Report by Nicole Mitchell Evening Times Sport, May 30th Rangers hero responds to Postecoglou Celtic lucky barb. Report by David Irvin. 
Craig Moore admits Ange Postecoglou had Celtic fans lapping up his comments after lifting the league title, but reckons the Parkhead boss is still irked by Michael Beale's lucky remark earlier in the season. The Celtic boss referenced Beale's comment as he addressed the Parkhead crowd after victory over Aberdeen on the final day of the season. Postecoglou said, Champions again. We are champions again because of this incredible group of players, brilliantly led by our skipper Callum McGregor. Champions again because of this unbelievable group of people behind the scenes. Outstanding. Champions again because of you, the fans. In the words of the immortal Tommy Burns, you are always there, always. Champions again because I am a lucky man and we have one more to go. We never stop. Postecoglou's lucky man dig was aimed at Beale after the Rangers manager used the same term in relation to the transfer funds at the Aussies' disposal. And while Beale has previously insisted the remark was not intended to be disrespectful or malicious, Moore reckons it might have got under the skin of Postecoglou. Quizzed on Postecoglou's barb over the lucky comment, Moore told the Go Radio football show he knew the messages he wanted to get across in that speech at the end. He had everyone eating out of his hands. He really did. He is in a situation where in such a short space of time, the success he has brought to the football club, the players, playing style, and most importantly to the supporters, trophies, and he's in a position now where he can finish the season with a treble. Billy Dodds and Inverness will have their say, but you have to think that Celtic will be too strong. It must have got under his skin a little bit, because it is not the first time he's brought it up. For me, I think that Michael Beale did not mean any harm in his use of the word at the time. Maybe getting caught sometimes you do go down rabbit holes and say a little bit too much. But I don't think there was malice in his comments. But Ange has played on it. He has used it for inspiration, motivation and even for a little bit of a point in the speech at the end of the season, didn't he? Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport, May 30 Gregor Townsend's coaching staff extend Scotland deals Scotland assistant coaches Steve Tandy, John DL and Peter de Villiers have followed the lead of head coach Gregor Townsend in extending their contracts until April 2026. Defence coach Tandy, forwards coach DL and scrum coach de Villiers all joined the national team set up in 2020 and have become valued members of the backroom staff. Their new deals have been announced just weeks after it was confirmed that Townsend, whose initial contract was due to expire after the World Cup this autumn, 
would be remaining in his post for a further three years. Townsend told Scottish Rugby, The news that Steve, John and Peter have extended their contracts is a real boost. They are all key members of the coaching group and provide invaluable support to our players and myself. Since coming on board, all three have made a hugely positive impact to not only their individual areas, but also to our all-round game and the environment. I'd like to thank Scottish Rugby for their support in keeping this coaching group together for the next few years. We enjoy working with each other and are determined to do all we can to bring out the best in this special squad of players. Glasgow Warriors assistant coach Pete Horn and former All Blacks assistant coach Brad Moore both joined Scotland's coaching group as assistant attack coaches for the Six Nations campaign earlier this year and they will continue their roles during the build-up to the World Cup and into the tournament itself. Said Townsend, it's great news that we've been able to secure the services of Pete and Brad for the World Cup. They both contributed to our group hugely during the Guinness Six Nations period. I am looking forward to working with them again on the attack side of our game and helping improve the skills and decision-making of our players. Mental skills coach Aaron Walsh will also continue working with Scotland for the World Cup. The squad are due to meet up this week to begin preparations for the World Cup in France, albeit several players will not join up with the group initially due to late finishes to the season with their clubs. Evening Times Sport, May 31. Rio Hatati is not turning up to have fun at Celtic. Report by James McLaughlin. Ange Postecoglou is not one to stand for lazy stereotypes being bandied about in a Celtic press conference. So when it was suggested Rio Hatati might be a deep thinker, on account of the midfielder having a blog detailing his life in Scotland, the manager took aim with one of his trademark piercing verbal arrows. Sometimes footballers get stereotyped, he ruminated, just because they can write a blog. They are deep thinkers. It just so happens that in this case, model professional Hatati is someone who does take his game extremely seriously. He's one of a generation of footballers that understands to get the best from their body, they have to apply a 24-hour athlete mindset. It's an outlook that is extant throughout the Celtic squad, with Captain Callum McGregor leading the culture from the front. While the top performers of our past often allowed others to take the reins in their life, most now see the benefits of taking control for themselves, not least the elegant Japanese playmaker Hatate. Postikoglu said, He thinks a great deal about himself, his football development, his career, everything. 
Everything he does is very measured. You watch him in training. He's not the kind of guy turning up to have fun. He's very serious about everything in his life. He's not the only one. There are few in there. I think modern footballers almost have to be that way. There are so many things that can take you off the rails. You have to think about every aspect of your life. It's the way football is these days. Young players coming through understand that now, and more importantly, are taking control of a lot of things in their life that in the past they would leave to other people. Hatati and Kyogo returned from the international wilderness with Japan call-ups to face Peru and El Salvador last week. While Dazen Maida has been consistently selected by the national team, his two compatriots have missed out, despite being standouts in the Scottish Premiership. Postikoglu was delighted to see three of his signings back in contention. He joked, Maybe Scottish football has improved in the last six months. I'm pleased for both of them. I had no doubt they'd get another opportunity. They have been outstanding for us, and it's fully deserved. I know they were both disappointed, particularly with the World Cup, but also with subsequent selections. They'll get a buzz at being in there. It's always great to go to the national team on the back of a season when you've won a few medals, as part of a team as well as individually. It's a great reward for them. Report by James McLaughlin Evening Time Sport, May 31 Stuart Kettlewell hoping for Motherwell clarity Motherwell manager Stuart Kettlewell is braced for the potential to lose some players but is hoping for clarity soon on his summer shopping list. The Steelmen offered new contracts to academy graduates Max Johnston and Dean Cornelius several months ago, but their futures remain uncertain. Defender Dan Casey has also been offered a new deal, while the contracts of the likes of Sean Goss, Harry Payton, Mikhail Mandarin, Jonathan Obika, Jack Aitchison and Jake Carroll, plus loan players Stuart McKinstry and James Furlong, are also up. The future of striker Kevin Van Veen could remain a topic for several months after the 31-year-old hit 29 goals last season. The Dutchman has a year left on his Park contract. But Kettlewell is hoping for clarity soon on other members of his squad, and he said, It can be a natural course, but of course, we don't want to be sitting four or five weeks from now. I always think as a player, when that season finishes, you have to make a decision one way or another. It gives you an indication we want to have a wee bit of clarity. I think the club has been fair with the offers and fair by acknowledging who we want to keep and players we have spoken to and how those situations go. The next part that comes is that we get that wee bit in return from player representatives 
So we get to a point where everyone knows what they are doing next season. I am not going to give you a deadline, but it's approaching that stage where we want that black or white answer. I sincerely hope I can keep as many players as I can, but if not, it's not the end of what we do as a club. It is important I am braced. The board is braced and the recruitment team is braced so that we may have to make some changes. That's absolutely fine because you have to deal with those situations if clubs come in with a lot more money than us and a greater stature. But we have shown we have a real good nucleus here and we find ourselves in a pretty good place overall. Evening Times Sport, May 31. Rugby. Clark Laidlaw set to take charge of hurricanes in New Zealand. Report by David Barnes. Clark Laidlaw has reversed the trend of overseas coaches being appointed to top posts in Scottish pro rugby by being put in charge of the Hurricanes Super Rugby Pacific franchise based in Wellington, New Zealand for their 2024 campaign. The 45-year-old from the Scottish Borders, who is the son of former Scotland and Lions scrum half Roy Laidlaw and cousin of recent Scotland captain Greg Laidlaw, will take up his new role at the conclusion of the 2023 Super Rugby Pacific season, replacing Jason Holland, who is moving on to become an assistant coach to the All Blacks under Scott Robertson after the Rugby World Cup. Laidlaw has been head coach of the New Zealand Sevens team since 2017, having previously served as an assistant coach at Hurricanes under Mark Hammett and Chris Boyd between 2013 and 2015. He also had a period as assistant coach with London Irish between 2016 and 2018. Born and raised in Jedburgh, the former standoff made his Scotland Sevens debut in 2001, scored 246 points in the World Sevens series and competed in the 2006 Commonwealth Games before moving to New Zealand in 2008, initially working in a rugby development role in Taranaki. I was a rugby development officer in Scotland and I was really conscious of becoming the same as everybody else in Scotland, he said in an interview back in 2017. I was comfortable, had good relationships and good networks. I played at a reasonable level. I could have probably stayed there and worked my way through the system, but I always thought there was a bit more to it. There was more to the game and I thought there was no better place to learn that than in New Zealand. I think more like a Kiwi than probably a Scotsman when it comes to the game, or I like to think I do. Having that positivity to play, that optimism that if it's on, it's on, I think that's the key. Laidlaw became the first foreigner to coach a New Zealand national rugby team when he was given the sevens job 
in 2017. The following year, he guided the side to gold at the Commonwealth Games and won the Rugby World Cup Sevens. Since then, he has led the team to HSBC World Rugby Sevens Series titles in 2020 and 2023 and won a silver medal at the 2021 Tokyo Olympics. Report by David Barnes Evening Time Sport May 31 Postecoglou to Spurs Latest Report by Aidan Smith Tottenham are set to step up their pursuit of Celtic manager Ange Postecoglou after Saturday's Scottish Cup final, according to reports. The Aussie has been installed as the bookies' favourite for the vacant Spurs job after Aaron Slot committed his future to Feyenoord last week. Postecoglou has not ruled himself out of the running for the position, but he has reinforced that he is entirely focused on guiding Celtic to an historic treble. The Evening Standard report that Postecoglou's work at Celtic has impressed Tottenham chairman Daniel Levy and incoming chief football officer Scott Munn, a fellow Australian, is also a big fan. The report goes on to state that Spurs will step up their approach after Saturday's Scottish Cup showpiece between Celtic and Inverness. Postecoglou savoured Celtic's title party but insisted he needed no reinforcement of what his park-held role brings him. Said Postecoglou, I don't need any reinforcement, I feel it every day. I know it's a special football club, and I have had wonderful support from day one. I am enjoying it. I love being part of this football club, but also I take the responsibility I hold very seriously. Days like today are about enjoying them, appreciating the great people I have got around me, the staff and my own family. These days are ones where you get the chance to appreciate what you have got. It's a special day. We do trophy days well. He added, I'm aware of it because everyone keeps asking me about it. It's happened in the past. I have been pretty clear it's just not the way I think and work. My priority right now is just making sure we have a special day on Saturday and we have a cup final coming up. I'm not going to sit there and get distracted by things that are kind of fascinating for other people rather than myself. That's where my focus is and where it will continue to be. We have had a fantastic season and we have an opportunity to make it a really special one. Report by Aidan Smith Evening Times Sport, May 31 Hamza Yusuf reacts to Celtic fans' celebrations in Glasgow. Report by Kirsty Fierig Hamza Yusuf has spoken out after unacceptable Celtic fans' celebrations over the weekend. It comes after thousands of Hoops fans gathered in Glasgow City Centre on Saturday to celebrate the team winning the Scottish Premiership. 
We previously reported 10 people were arrested and several injured, with police saying there was an unacceptable level of antisocial behaviour during the day. Now the First Minister has backed Glasgow Central MP Alison Thewlis calls for football clubs to organise their own fan celebrations. Speaking to Radio Clyde News, Hamza Yusuf said, I think it's a pretty sensible suggestion from Alison Thewlis. The vast majority of football fans, if they are Celtic fans or indeed Rangers fans or any other fans, frankly, celebrate in a way that is acceptable. They celebrate the important achievements of their club. It is that small minority, I'm afraid, that really celebrates in a way that is simply unacceptable. That disorder that we saw, elements of that disorder we saw, of course, over the weekend, was just not acceptable. I do think clubs should pay a greater toll, and certainly when it comes to celebrations. Perhaps there's something the clubs should do to facilitate that celebration, perhaps within their own stadiums or in another way. I would like clubs to take more responsibility for title celebrations that ensue. The Times previously reported how Glasgow Central MP Alison Thulis told the BBC she believes football clubs should organise events for their fans and she said, my preference would be for the clubs to organise things so that there was safety for fans and residents and responsibility for ensuring everyone is looked after. The SNP MP also condemned the disruption and the mess caused by the celebrations and said football clubs should be billed for the clean-up. And she wrote on Twitter, I have had a number of complaints from local residents about the disruption and the mess. Consistent with my call in previous years, I would suggest the football team responsible be billed by Glasgow City Council for the clear-up. In this instance, Celtic Football Club. Report by Kirsty Fieri. Evening Times Sport June 1 Miofsky launches scathing attack on St Mirren's Small Report by Mark Walker Aberdeen striker Bojan Miofsky has launched a scathing attack on St Mirren's Thierry Small for his lunge on him which will cause him to miss North Macedonia's match against England. Miofsky was stretchered off in the Don's last home game against St Myrne, where they secured a third-place finish and qualified for guaranteed European football until Christmas, if Celtic win the Scottish Cup. He has confirmed he will be fit for the start of Aberdeen's pre-season campaign, which starts in the middle of next month, but he will miss North Macedonia's Euro 2024 qualifiers against England and Ukraine. And he remains stunned at the tackle from England under 18's ace Small, who was on loan from Southampton, which caused him ankle ligament damage. Miofsky said, Honestly, 
I still cannot understand how a professional footballer, albeit a young one, but an English representative, could react like that. Only luck saved me from a more serious injury. At first I really feared the worst. However, the scan showed that I have no problem and what is damaged will be rehabilitated by the body itself and that there is no need for an operation. On the one hand, it's a shame such a good season ended this way, but on the other hand, I'm happy that I suffered no serious injury. I should be fit by July 10 and start pre-season training with the team. But I am also sorry this happened when I should be playing for my country. We are playing seriously important matches against Ukraine and England. England will be very hard and I am disappointed I won't be able to help the team. However, I am sure that even without me, the boys and the coach will find a way to surprise the favourite. I believe in them and in a successful start to the qualifications. Report by Mark Walker Evening Times Sport, June 1 Derek McInnes in Kilmarnock start a fresh admission. Report by Ewan Payton Sometimes a clean break is exactly what's needed to move forward and progress in any walk of life. For Derek McInnes at Kilmarnock, that's certainly the scenario he's faced with this summer. Numerous players will leave the club over the coming days as their contracts expire while the process to acquire new additions will be significantly ramped up by his boss and his aide Russ Richardson. There will also be a new look to the manager's backroom staff by the time pre-season comes about in a little over three weeks. That's mainly because McInnes's long-term right-hand man Tony Doherty has departed the rugby park to take over the reins at Dundee. After 14 years working together, the well-renowned number two decided to join the Dens Park side as they secured him as Gary Bower's replacement. It was a shock to many, and probably to McInnes himself, who insists that the 52-year-old displayed no signs of wanting to go it alone. While McInnes wishes his old mate all the best on his new path, he admits it allows Kelly to gain freshness as they aim to rebuild the summer, as he pointed to some wisdom passed down from Walter Smith and others. Said McInnes, We've worked together for such a long time. Tony was a youth coach at Dundee United when I was there as a player. He was still in that job when I took him to St Johnston as my assistant. I think it's a good opportunity for him. Doc lives in Brotty Ferry. There's a lot of things ticking the box for him. It allows me to restructure things here and have that freshen. That's always important for any manager. Any senior manager you speak to, Walter always used to say it. Sir Alex would say it, and David Moyes has said it. You need to change your assistant every few years as it keeps things fresh. Dundee's a good club for Tony to start with, 
and it gives us a real opportunity to start afresh. I don't think it's anything he's been harbouring for a while. But when Callum Davidson rejected the chance to join Dundee, suddenly it probably made a lot of sense to Doc to try to go for it. The fact he was keen to go for it would suggest that he is ready. I really wish him well with it. It was all amicable. He becomes a rival, which is interesting. We also have Barry Robson in the league. We had Callum last year, who was an ex-player of mine, and Lee Johnson, who is an ex-player of mine. It probably just demonstrates how old I am. You always come up against people that you played with or worked with before. Obviously, Tony and I go back a long way. When that fixture comes around, it will be competitive as normal. Asked directly about appointing a replacement, McInnes remained coy but provided an update. He added, Yes, we're good to go. I know exactly what we're looking to do. The new management team will be there in place for pre-season. It is understood that Chris Burke will not be promoted to become Clay's new assistant manager. McInnes has held talks with all out-of-contract players at the club and has offered new terms to come with a retained list expected by Saturday at the latest. The former Aberdeen manager admits some discussions were very tough because plenty of those being released have given so much to the cause. But with the need to recruit greater quality and run with a smaller squad, such decisions were essential to ensuring Killy are able to kick on next term. He said, I'd like to work with a tighter squad. I think we had too many last season, not through any fault of our own, it's just the way it was. We would like to work with four or five less and give encouragement to the younger guys. The likes of David Watson and Bobby Wales came through this season, giving encouragement to some of the academy players coming through. We are predominantly looking to strengthen the starting eleven. We want to be as strong as we possibly can be and have that healthy competition throughout the squad. Over the last couple of days, we've had a lot of difficult conversations and decisions to make, as it is for every manager at this stage of a season, particularly with lads who have done well for me and this club. Either part of a championship winning team or playing their part in keeping a team up. But I think, like everything, there is a recognition we need to try and change things. The demand changes on me and the club next season. The demand is still to stay in the league, but we want to look further afield now and be 12 or 13 points better off. If we can do that, it gets you into the region of the top six in Europe, which is what we have to try and do. So there's a lot of pressure on the recruitment part of it, and I feel we are more ready to deal with that than last season. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, June 1
Use of delivers Postecoglou to Spurs quip. Report by David Irvin. Hamza Yusuf has admitted he would be gutted to see Ange Postecoglou leave Celtic for Tottenham as he joked that he had explored any powers as First Minister to block a move. The SNP leader is a Celtic supporter and a huge admirer of Postecoglou's work at Parkhead in recent seasons. Branding the current Celtic boss as a revelation, Yusuf gushed over Postecoglou's achievements as he stands on the brink of a domestic treble. Reported interest from Tottenham could result in a formal approach after the Scottish Cup final against Inverness Caledonian Thistle on Saturday, and the SNP leader joked he had his team check his powers as First Minister of Scotland to see whether there was any legislation to help keep Postecoglou at Celtic. Speaking on Clyde One Super Scoreboard, the First Minister quipped, there are some powers I have as First Minister. I have just asked my entire team to see if there's anything within my First Ministerial powers to stop Ange from leaving Celtic, if of course the rumours are true. But of course there is nothing I could do. I would be gutted. I would, genuinely, I would. I think he has been a revelation, not just as a manager with his tactics, but also the players he has brought in we just would never have got. Players I just don't think would have come to the Scottish Premiership if he hadn't brought them. They have been an absolute revelation for Celtic. The First Minister went on to reveal it was suggested he hide his Celtic allegiance when he entered politics. But he added, it does come with its challenges because I think people assume that everything you do is through the lens of being a Celtic fan. I'm not going to pretend that I'm anything other than that, because what's the point? I remember when I first got into politics, people said, why don't you just pretend you're a Patrick Thistle fan? I thought, there's plenty of pictures of me in a Celtic top. Folk know me. What is the point of pretending? Plus, there is nothing wrong with supporting Rangers, Celtic, or any other club in the country. Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport June 2 Expert separates ACL fact from fiction Report by Graeme McGarry There is no one definitive reason that has yet been found to explain why female footballers are more susceptible to ACL injuries than their male counterparts, and in the absence of hard facts, conjecture often fills the gap. The rapid pace at which the women's game has moved from a largely amateur environment to a professional one seems to be a factor, and is part of the reason why it is only now that we are starting to see hard data dripping through from various studies such as those conducted by UEFA, that will in time add more substance to educated theories and disprove some others. If anyone in Scotland is well placed to assess these potential factors, 
and how much weight should be placed in them, then it is Dr John McLean who has been working with athletes of both sexes for over 30 years, as well as a long and storied stint as the doctor with the men's national team. Dr McLean is the chief executive of the Hamden Clinic and is the vice chairman of UEFA's medical committee. Therefore, he is able to separate the facts that we know them from fanciful theories and give an informed assessment of why female footballers are currently picking up ACL injuries with such frequency, with at least 12 cases in the SWPL over the past season alone. Is it the pitches? One area of concern has been the high exposure of female players to AstroTurf pitches, with teams very often training and playing on synthetic surfaces. But Dr McLean does not believe that artificial grass plays a significant role. He said, The UEFA research shows that with the modern artificial turf, the injury incidence is not significantly greater than on grass. It was before, but not now. I think it is hard to say that pitches are a factor now, because the science does not necessarily back that up. It would be wrong to say that there is good study evidence to suggest that the pitches are a factor, because it does not appear in the UEFA studies, which are across Europe. If you look at Scandinavia, a lot of their players will predominantly play on AstroTurf, and they do not have a significantly higher rate of ACL injuries in either men or women than, than countries who traditionally play more on grass. If we think back to the original AstroTurf pitches, which were essentially concrete, it's night and day to what is available now. I think the evidence would be that modern pitches, whatever G quality you have got, and particularly the hybrid pitches, there's no science in the UEFA stuff that says injuries are more likely, and most of them now are of a reasonably good standard. There has been more and more research into ACL injuries in the last 20 years, and in particular in women's football over the last 10 years, the data is starting to come. People bandy figures about, but most people accept the overall risk is two to three times higher for ACL injuries in women. They also seem to get these injuries at a comparatively younger age compared to male footballers. Does wearing boots designed for men have any significance? Dr. McLean says, that's definitely a factor and it ties in with the biomechanics. If you think of the biomechanics of the way a person's pelvis is, that then has an effect on what the foot position is. And where that foot position is, has an impact on what happens further up. So people who present with knee pain, it can be caused by their foot over pronating or whatever. We use our podiatrist in the clinic more and more now 
to do biomechanical assessments of people that are presenting in a slightly different way. Why are they injured when you wouldn't expect them to be? Does the menstrual cycle play a part? There have been three or four areas identified where women differ from men, such as the hormonal side, the anatomy and biomechanics side, and then what people call the conditioning side, the neuromuscular function. Football is a sport where you can understand with the nature of how we play the game, particularly now when it is much faster. Studs can get planted in the ground, and then with twisting, you can see why it happens. The mechanisms are the same for males and females, but there are a couple of anatomical things that differ. The female ACL tends to be smaller in diameter, and the kind of notch bit in the bone tends to be a bit smaller in women. They tend to have a broader pelvis, which affects the biomechanics of the way that they run and the way that they twist and turn. So there are anatomical reasons why women are perhaps more likely to get these injuries. The one that has got the biggest interest at the moment is the menstrual cycle and hormonal factors. There is some evidence that when women are in the middle of their cycle, when their oestrogen level goes up, the higher level of oestrogen may lead to more joint laxity. So the soft tissues around the joint get a bit more lax and stretchy and provide a bit less support. There is a bit of evidence that you're more likely to have an ACL injury at that point, but it's a bit conflicting because some other studies have suggested it may be worse at the time of menstruation. At that moment though, it seems to be that higher oestrogen is a factor and obviously males are not going to have that peak of oestrogen. The other thing that people talk about is neuromuscular function. That is our general coordination and that fits into the development of women's football, particularly in Scotland. The FIFA 11 Plus has been around for about 10 years and that was probably one of the first scientifically proven studies that took a group of individuals. They had a control group that didn't do it they had the intervention group that did it and they saw a reduction in the number of significant muscular skeletal injuries in the group that did that prehab. They do take 15 to 20 minutes so you need coach buy-in. Coach education is really important. If you have got part-time players who have a two-hour lettered orium and that is all you have got twice a week. It is quite difficult to fit in everything that you need to do. So you may need well-educated coaches who understand the benefit of it. There is no doubt whether it is women's football or men's football at a lower level, when they have more access to better facilities, to increased staff, to better educated coaches, who understand the importance of that prehab, then there will be a reduction 
in the number of injuries. The SFA do a great job in coach education. I do sessions on their licences, which are a bit more medical, but the physios and the sports scientists will talk about the importance of doing it. We need good sports science and good physios in our clubs. Player education is also important so that they are not just doing this for 15 minutes twice a week. They are actually doing it every day. Now, I know a lot of them will be working full time, but you have to have 15 minutes in the day where they can do that. We need to get people in there with that knowledge encouraging these habits. If we do all that balance, that core stability, that stabilisation and muscle strength, then we can get better control over our knee so that if we do land awkwardly, then we have that muscle support round about it that stops our knee from twisting. If those muscles are strong enough to hold it in place, it can stop the ACL from pinging. Most of these players will require surgery, which is costly. They will need prolonged rehab. And we know that individuals who have torn their ACL have an early increase of early osteoarthritis. The key thing after ACL surgery is to have a formal rehabilitation plan and for someone to manage the athlete, the player, through that plan. The average time out used to be around 12 months, then it came down to nine, and some are as quick as six or seven, but generally speaking, most are about the nine month mark. There are different phases of that. So what clubs need is access to a physiotherapist, somebody with experience of rehabilitating that kind of injury. Within club licensing in recent years in both the men's and the women's game, there has been a sea change with the standard and expectation of the medical staff that clubs should have has gone up dramatically. So we are seeing more and more of the women's team in the SWPL having an in-house physio that will be there for training and they will have access to external people too. A wee word for the Handman Clinic too. We have a relationship with all the national associations where they can get access to our physios, the gym, the hydro pool at a discounted rate. So clubs who don't have that in-house physio support can get access to it. If they're a wee bit distant from Glasgow, there's a really good network of good sports physios around Scotland. Nowadays, there is good access. There is an issue over cost, but for a relatively small cost, you can have the support you require. You don't have to see a physio three times a week. You're just getting told what to do and then going back to be instructed on the next stage. In the last five years, there has been a notable increase in the medical and sports science support within clubs as they have progressed. Report by Graeme McGarry. Evening Times Sport, June 2. Kevin McAlpine prepares to step out from behind the bag 
in Inverurie. Report by Nick Roger. You never know where a golfer will be when you give them an off-the-cuff tinkle on the phone. Out on the course, at the driving range, in the gym, sprawled on a physio's table, shuffling through a queue at an airport, getting their palms read by a fortune teller, setting their clubs on fire in an elaborate cleansing ritual after yet another miscut. I'm sitting in the pub having a Guinness, gulped Kevin McAlpine, as he savoured a nourishing libation after securing a place in this weekend's Scottish Open Amateur Stroke Play Championship at a pre-qualifier the other day. There's no past champion exemption, so I managed to scrape through, he added, with a wry chortle. That champion status was earned back in 2007, when he won the stroke play title at Dornoch to complete a memorable double whammy, having won the national match play crown a year earlier at Nairn. A lot has happened since then, of course. A fruitless injury blighted stint as a pro was followed by a profitable move into caddying on the LPGA Tour and a marriage to three-time women's major champion, Anna Norquist. Here in 2023, Arizona-based McAlpine has regained his amateur status and is using a holiday in his homeland to dip his toe back into the competitive waters. At 39, he's not quite old Tom Morris, but in this crash-bang wallop era, of big-hitting young yuns, even McAlpine feels like some relic of a bygone age. He said, I played with a lad in the qualifier whose club head speed was 129 miles per hour and he hit it miles. I plonked one down the fairway and he drove it past me to the front edge of the green. I was thinking, oh, it's a different game now. Having scaled the heights as an amateur in the noughties, McAlpine never got out of the foothills as a professional. After injuring his knee playing five-a-side football in 2006, he suffered another painful setback three years later while training, and his career as a pro was one of frustration rather than fulfilment. He reflected, the injuries ruined it especially on the confidence side. When you're out so long and then return, you're constantly trying to get something back in every round you play. You're trying to find something you had, whether it was the feel, the decision-making processes, everything. It even went down to how I would practice, and I almost forgot what my strengths and weaknesses were. You can look back and say, if I hadn't played football, then I wouldn't have done my knee in. And if I hadn't done my knee in, then I might have made it as a pro. But it doesn't work like that, unfortunately. I did fall out of love with golf when I was trying to make it as a pro. My game wasn't good, my knee wasn't good, and I just couldn't dig out the form that I knew was in there. But golf is in my heart. It's always been the thing I've done, and it gives me purpose. 
He may not have made inroads as a touring player, but McAlpine savoured plenty of big moments as a caddy. In his first year on the bag of former world number two, Lexi Thompson, in 2017, she won twice and had season earnings of almost $2 million. It's fair to assume that McAlpine got more than a hearty handshake and a 30 quid tip for his contributions. After a brief employment with former world number one, So Yon Ru, at the opening women's major, the Chevron Championship in April, McAlpine will return to America next week looking for a bag for the upcoming Women's PGA Championship and the United States Women's Open. Before that though, he will be hitting the shots instead of calling them as the Scottish Stroke Play Championship gets underway at Meldrum House. He said, even being involved in the qualifying round the other day was great for me. It got the juices flowing again. The fire is still in there. It's all about getting the head screwed back on and getting into it. I'd love to be in the mix, but I don't know if the game is sharp enough yet. We'll find out this weekend. Report by Nick Roger Evening Times Sport June 2 David Moyes breaks silence on Celtic job speculation. Report by Aidan Smith David Moyes has broken his silence on speculation linking him with the Celtic job. The West Ham manager is the bookies' favourite to become the next Parkhead boss, with Ange Postecoglou currently linked with Tottenham Hotspur. Steve Clark is next in the market at 4-1 to return to the SPL after three years in charge of the Scotland national team. Quizzed about the Celtic links, Moyes today replied, I have never even considered it. I am the West Ham manager and I am really enjoying my period here. I am hopefully trying to continue growing a really good football club, so I have not given it any consideration. Through my years, I have been linked with lots of jobs at different times, but I have to say I am really happy at the moment and I am settled where I am. The club have been so good to me, and we are enjoying the journey we are on. Report by Aidan Smith From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 3rd of June 2023, from the sports section, Celtic 3, Inverness 1, 5 talking points as Celtic seal a treble. Report by Graham McGarry Celtic eventually claimed a 3-1 win over Inverness Caledonian Thistle to claim the Scottish Cup and cap off a sensational season overall as Ange Postley-Cogley joined the club's managerial greats by tucking a treble into their trophy cabinet. A goal from Kyogo Furuhashi, who else, eventually broke down the stuffy resistance put up by Cali Thistle in the first half before substitute Leela Bada seemed to have killed the contest with a second 25 minutes from time Inverness's own super sub Daniel Mackay though popped up to bury a diving header past Joe Hart on 84 minutes to set up a grandstand finale, but Jota killed their hopes with a clincher as the clock ticked into stoppage time. Here are the talking points from a glorious day for Celtic fans at Hamden in the sun. 
Ange Postacoglu has secured his Celtic legacy. It may not be a day for poring over the speculation of last week in great detail, and it is only right that the focus instead is on Celtic's achievement of racking up yet another treble. So routine have this club make the feat over recent years that it has almost been forgotten how just how difficult it is to accomplish, with Postacoglu now becoming just the fifth manager in the club's entire history to do it. The others are Jock Steen, Martin O'Neill, Brendan Rodgers and Neil Lennon. That Postacoglu now deserves to be held in the same regards as the last three names in that list, at least, at least seems beyond doubt. And whatever happens in the next few days and weeks, there can be no debating just how impressive his reign has been to this point. Particularly when you consider where Celtic were when he arrived, unheralded from Japan. For now, Postikoglu, his players and his adoring public will simply bask in the glow of this memorable season before contemplating what may come next. With Kyogo, one touch is all it takes. The masses of Celtic fans around Hamden were starting to get just a little impatient with their side's inability to break Inverness down as we neared half-time. With Billy Dodd's men holding firm and limiting the heavy favourites, to a handful of underwhelming efforts from range that were dragged wide. Of course, Celtic had all the ball, but they were doing very little with it. Their passing was safe and pedestrian, and the well-drilled Highlanders were looking comfortable in their shape. In fact, it appeared that Celtic players were doing their utmost in those early stages to put off any watching suitors peering at manager Postacoglu from North London. There could be no place for a false sense of security when Kyogo is around though. If his thunderous strike that eventually opened the scoring with just 7 minutes before the interval wasn't quite the striker's first touch, it must have been close to it. But what a touch it was. Matarelli got on to Alistair Johnson's pass down the right-hand side of the Cali defence and his clever cutback was weighted perfectly for the razor-sharp Kyogo to steam onto it. In a flash, the ball was past Mark Ridgers in the back of the net. He hadn't trained all week following the injury he picked up against Aberdeen on the final day of the Premiership season and was removed before the hour for Hyung Gyu Oh, but Kyogo had made his mark nonetheless, as he has done throughout another outstanding season for the country's top scorer. Me O'Reilly assist you? It wasn't long ago there was something of a narrative going, going around that O'Reilly was having a rather underwhelming season, particularly off the back of his stunning introduction to Scottish football following his move from MK Don to the preceding January. Most of that seems to have stemmed from the fact that he had failed to get in the score sheet until Celtic put five past St Mirren in a fifth round of this competition in mid-February, a quirk that could be partly explained by the impressive period he spent lying deep as an understudy for injured Captain, Ga- Captain McGregor. What has rather been overlooked though is that he has consistently been a threat for Celtic in attack throughout the campaign, ending the Premiership season as a top assist provider with 12 to his name and grabbing another vital one here as he grasped the thistle if you will, just when the obdurate Inverness were eyeing up the safety of the dressing room. Callum McGregor racks up his 20th honour. The Celtic captain is no stranger to clambering up those Hamden steps, as he did so here to loft the Scottish Cup above his head. He further cemented his place among the club's greats and the most decorated players. On a day when Celtic had so much possession, he was always going to play a central part in proceedings, but he also burst forward to claim an assist for Celtic's second goal, thrusting down the left to square for Abada to tap home. Though he and Celtic were forced to wait for it, as a VAR check showed he was onside by a whisker as he latched onto Jota's pass in behind. From that point, there seemed little doubt over McGregor winning his 20th honour as a Celtic player, and his fifth on a possible sixth as captain. But although Kelly made him sweat a little, 
they got there in the end. Inverness can hold their heads high. The last thing that Cali Thistle manager Dodd want to be labelled as plucky losers, but there is no doubt whatsoever that he and his men can be proud of their efforts against what looks to be insurmountable odds. Most of their good work was done in their own half, of course, manfully defending their box against a superior opponent. Indeed, their only regret may be that they rarely showed much composure when they did land on the ball. When they did put a move together, they found the net, as well as Duffy's delightful delivery was powered home by Mackay's diving header, but it proved too little, too late. The challenge now will be to pick up the pieces and produce more consistently in next season's championship, so they're rubbing shoulders with the likes of Celtic on a more regular basis. And that report was by Graham McGarry. From the Herald Scotland, Saturday the 3rd of June 2023, from the sports section, Manchester City one win away from sporting immortality, by Andy Hampson. Manchester United are one win away from sporting immortality after underlining their greatness by completing a Premier League and FA Cup double. Not even arch-rivals Manchester United, in the white-hot atmosphere of a Wembley derby, could throw a spanner into the works as their seemingly relentless charge towards the treble continued on Saturday. As the only previous side to win the Premier League, FA Cup and Champions League in the same season, back in 1999, United and their fans would have loved nothing more than to halt Pep Guardiola's juggernaut. Yet, although they were not eviscerated in the manner Arsenal and Real Madrid were in two other high-profile City fixtures recently, they were ultimately no match for a side who have become far more than just their noisy neighbours. City will now head to Istanbul for next week's Champions League final against Inter Milan, riding high in confidence in the pride that they have coveted most for so long should finally be within their grasp. One of the great features of this City side is how, despite the brilliance of headline names such as Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne, other players are often ready to seize the moment when it matters. In the semi-final against Sheffield United, it was Riyad Mahrez with a brilliant hat-trick and, on this occasion, and not for the first time, it was Ilkay Gundogan. The German midfielder, who scored twice against Aston Villa City Christed Premier League title in the final day of last season, was magnificent all afternoon, scoring both goals in a deserved 2-1 win. City arrived at Wembley in casual wear, but there was nothing casual about their start. Gundogan followed them ahead with a blistering strike after just 12 seconds, the fastest goal in FA Cup final history, and yet another notable achievement in this remarkable season. Further chances came in for the opening 5 minutes, and it seemed United could have quickly been overrun. Their fearsome attack, so fluid doing a brilliant spring run that saw them reel in Arsenal and claim the title, seemed in fine fatal, banishing doubts rustiness might have set in after a couple of dead rubber fixtures. Yet, while all that was encouraging, so too was their resilience after, Man- after United fought back their way back into the game. Jack Gillage considered himself unfortunate to have been penalised for handball in the box, but such rulings often go against defenders when VAR gets involved. City soon regained their composure after Bruno Fernandes levelled from the spot and retook the lead early in the second half, again through Gundogan. The club captain is out of contract in the summer and will be sorely missed should he decide to move on. That, however, is a matter that can be dealt with later. For now, the chief concern is for a side already one of the best England has ever produced to go in and cement their status by winning the Champions League. And that was a report by Andy Hampson. 
Evening Times Sport, June 5. James Forrest closes in on all-time record. Report by Mark Walker. Celtic stalwart James Forrest now has the same amount of winners' medals as Scott Brown and is the joint third most decorated hoops player of all time. Ange Postecoglou's side completed the treble with a 3-1 win over Cali Thistle and the 31-year-old came on as a late substitute to win yet another medal with Celtic. And he's now level with Celtic legend Brown on 22 winners' medals. If he manages to win another treble next season with the Parkhead side, he will equal the all-time record set by Bobby Lennox of 25 trophy wins as a Celtic player. Billy McNeil is next with 23 as a player only. And Captain Callum McGregor has now won 20 ahead of Jimmy Johnston. Forrest has been used sparingly this season by Postecoglou, but still managed 23 appearances in all competitions. He's now won 11 league titles, 6 Scottish Cups and 5 League Cups. He would have already have overtaken Brown, but was not on the bench in Celtic's League Cup triumph this season. McGregor has now won 8 titles, 5 Scottish Cups and 7 League Cups. Lennox's tally of 25, 1 European Cup, 11 League medals, 8 Scottish Cup medals and 5 League Cup medals in 2 spells as a Celtic player put him in the lead ahead of Icon McNeil with 23 as a player only. 1 European Cup, 9 titles, 7 Scottish Cups and 6 League Cups. Brown, now manager of Fleetwood Town, won 10 in the Premiership, 6 Scottish Cups and 6 League Cups. Nir Bitten, who was transferred in the summer to Maccabi Tel Aviv, is on 18 trophies along with Bobby Murdoch, Alec McNair and Jimmy McMenemy. Report by Mark Walker Evening Times Sport June 5 Postecoglou verbally agrees Celtic to Spurs move. Report by Ewan Payton. Ange Postecoglou has verbally agreed to take the Tottenham job, according to a report. Things seem to be progressing quickly, with the Celtic boss keen to take the dream opportunity of managing in the Premier League. Fabrizio Romano reports that a verbal agreement has been reached between Spurs and Postecoglou, paving the way to make the move. He claims that the Australian will be offered an initial two-year deal, with the option of an extra year, which would take the contract to run until the summer of 2026. It's now up to Spurs and Celtic to agree on a compensation figure as the North London side will need to buy him out of his 12-month rolling contract in Glasgow. It comes just two days after the 57-year-old guided Celtic to their latest treble 
which was the eighth in their history. The Parkhead Board will now need to up their succession planning, with a new manager needed in place as soon as possible, ahead of pre-season in three weeks. Postikoglu repeatedly refused to be drawn on his future before or after the weekend Scottish Cup final win over Inverness, insisting that the focus should be on the game and celebrating. It is believed that he will take John Kennedy and Gavin Strachan with him to Spurs, as well as other staff members. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, June 5 The Talking Points as Patrick Thistle Miss Out Report by Graeme McGarry Ross County pulled off an astonishing comeback to preserve their Premiership status after a penalty shootout on a day of incredible drama in Dingwall. Patrick Thistle looked all but promoted after Aidan Fitzpatrick fired them ahead on the day towards the end of the first half and 3-0 up on aggregate, but somehow County came back from the dead. A Jan Danda penalty 20 minutes from time threw them a lifeline before Simon Murray set up a frantic finale just 80 seconds later by tapping home from close range. Remarkably, George Harmon popped up in stoppage time to volley home a dramatic leveller and send the game into extra time and eventually to penalties where they prevailed. Here are the talking points from an unforgettable afternoon in the Highlands. The playoffs, bloody hell. Where do you start with this one? You would have got long odds on the hitherto toothless Ross County belatedly biting back after Thistle had gone a go up through Fitzpatrick, but somehow they dug in and prolonged their stay in the Premiership. Malky Mackay's men were the joint lowest scorers in the top flight over the course of the season along with Kilmarnock, hitting the net just 37 times. By way of contrast, Thistle had bagged almost half that amount in the playoff matches alone prior to this one, scoring 18 over the five games. They did not register a shot on target in the first leg of the playoff final, and while Ben Purrington had a header cleared off the line by Kyle Turner, White missed a sitter when he failed to connect with a dangerous Samuel Cross, and Samuel himself allowed Mitchell to save when cleaned through after a Darren Brownlee slip. It took a penalty to get them on the board. Remarkably, a minute later they had another, as Samuel capitalised on a slip to set up substitute Murray to tap home, before Harman incredibly popped up at the death to level the tie. Then, in extra time, another Thistle legend in Stuart Bannigan seemed destined to hit a fairy tale winner, blasting over from close range in front of the despairing travelling support. Even the penalty shootout was full 
of twists and turns. As County Captain Keith Watson failed to take the chance to keep them up by blazing over after Bannigan had hit the post, before Ross Laidlaw made a brilliant stop from Ross Doherty to allow Josh Sims to score the winner at long, long last. County players fight for Mackay. It could certainly be argued that these county players have let themselves down over the course of the season. But when it came to the crunch, their commitment to their club and their manager cannot be questioned. Quite why it took them so long to show up in this tie, or indeed in this campaign, only they would be able to tell you. But they showed incredible resilience to scrap their way back from the dead making the most of the reprieve they had literally been handed in unfortunate circumstances by thistle striker Graham. Not only did they claw their way into the tie, but they fought their way back into the top flight, and the manager has to take credit for instilling that fighting spirit into his side. Cheer up, Jags fans. At least you won't have to face VAR next season. For only the second time this season, a referee refused the offer to change a decision when invited to have a look at the VAR screen, as Nick Walsh decided not to award a penalty to Thistle after Ross Doherty went down in the area under Noan Kenna's challenge, despite Greg Aiken's recommendation. The official was clearly unconvinced that he had made a clear and obvious error or that Doherty had been fouled at all, and judging the Thistle midfielder to have been the one to initiate contact as he clipped the back of Kenneth's heel. That was debatable to say the least, with Doherty surely having a path into the area, but Kenna not planted his foot in his way. But Walsh looked long and hard before sticking by his decision. He was called over once more in the second half, and again the call went against Thistle, as Brian Graham was penalised for a handball, allowing Dander to score from the spot. But the VAR drama didn't end there. County Captain Watson was shown a red card as he tried to hack down Tiffany as he broke but that was then overturned after yet another review. All of that resulted in nine minutes of time being added to the end of the game, and the county made the most of it. Thistle can regroup under legend Chris Doolan and come up next year. Doolan will forever be a Firhill icon for his feats as a player, but in just 19 games he came so close to attaining legendary status at his beloved club as a manager. What the former Thistle striker has achieved in his short time in charge is nothing short of remarkable, despite this loss. It is just one of two defeats he has suffered to date. He has made his team a massive threat at the business end of the pitch, harnessing the thrilling attacking talents at his disposal. Shrewdly, he has also not only tapped into the burning sense of injustice still present within the club 
at their relegation to League One during the COVID pandemic, but actively stoked that feeling of resentment among his players. He will be devastated that his team could not see it through, but once the pain has subsided a little, there are plenty of positives to take from their recent run to point to a bright future under his stewardship. Report by Graeme McGarry That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Review and to tell your friends about our service.